Europe. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Big news uh, this afternoon, some big issues, so uh, do stay tuned. But first, I do want to mention this email. It has just come through. Uh, it says, uh, I have just finished a very busy shift as an ICU nurse in Dunedin and I'm listening on the way home. Wow, and thank you, Ruth, and the panel for the thank you. A grateful nurse. Oh, bless you. Bless you all. Ruth put it out, said uh, that those in the health industry and the likes of people dealing with her friend that has terminal illness really needs uh, support. So uh, th- uh, all the best, uh, Debbie, and uh, thank you, uh, Ruth. Now, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins today said he had asked the Cabinet Press Secretary to conduct a review of correspondence between Stuart Nash and his donors. He said the review would take about two months. The Prime Minister yesterday sacked Stuart Nash from all of his ministers ministerial portfolios following another breach of the cabinet manual after it emerged Nash sent an email to senior business figures in 2020 while he was small business minister which contained cabinet discussions related to a commercial relief package being negotiated at the time Hipkins said that crosses a line that is totally unacceptable to me Nash was already on his final warning, rather, having lost the police portfolio two weeks ago for two missteps, including criticising the judiciary. I am truly sorry, Stuart Nash said on Facebook this afternoon. And for now, I will continue to be your local MP. With us is Associate Professor Grant Duncan, who teaches political theory and New Zealand politics at Massey University. Uh, Dr. Duncan, kia ora. Welcome to the programme. The Cabinet Manual says once Cabinet makes a decision, ministers must support it regardless of their personal views. It's pretty black and white, Grant. Oh, yes, it is. And this is a really well-established constitutional convention. Uh, Stuart Nash has clearly broken that convention. Uh, This isn't breaking a law as such. It's a well-established convention, however, He's lost the confidence of the Prime Minister, and rightly so, he's out. Wow. Okay. So what else do you make of this issue? It's been long-running. Is this just being hapless, Grant, rather than mischievous, or is it a clear breach of cabinet rules? What else do you take from this? Well, it's a bit of both, Wallace. It is a clear breach of cabinet rules. You could say that one of uh, uh, Stuart Nash's problems here is that he's been incautious about with whom he communicates when and how. Uh, A lot of these things, I imagine, often happen uh, more cautiously and verbally, so they're not on the record, if you'll follow me. Um, But, um, yeah, so I'm not saying that other people aren't guilty of similar sorts of things, particularly where it concerns uh, uh, donors in your local community, uh, business people, and there's a nod and a wink, and then perhaps on a cabinet subcommittee uh, an individual minister is kind of going into that, so to speak, and maybe in quite a subtle way. We don't know how much this kind of thing actually goes on, uh, and if we did, we'd probably be a bit disappointed, honestly. Really? Okay. Ruth, what do you make of that? Yeah, hi, Professor. Mm. I was just making notes saying, well, if it happens anyway, that it clearly doesn't make that right. But I, but I also uh, kind of think, yeah, incautious versus entitled. Mm. Uh, um, you know the optics aren't great. We were talking about transparency in a transparency register just before, um, but 
surely, as you say, if this is a well-established convention, um, it surprises me that um, someone has either become complacent or so entitled that they behave this way. Is that fair? Uh, yes, uh, perhaps a bit of both. Um, and there's two things here. One is the conflict of interest in relation to the donors, mm. and the other is, is the breach of cabinet unanimity and confidentiality. So there's kind of two strikes there once, really, or three even, in fact. And um, it's surprising, really, to come from such an experienced politician. Um, he's uh, ad- admitted fault, and he's apologised, uh, and he's paid the price as well. So he remains as, as MP for Napier, but he's out of Cabinet. OK. So as such a senior... Um experienced person, should we be more concerned that it is a lot more widespread, um, perhaps not discoverable because people don't put it in writing as often as perhaps has been caught here? Should we, mm. would, would we be concerned? Are you concerned? Oh, absolutely. No, I absolutely am. And I, I'm just not naming names right now <laughs> in order to uh, yeah. avoid trouble. <laughs> but I, I, I do think this goes on more than we realise. I mean, New Zealand is a small community and these things are bound to happen. But, you see, conflicts of interest aren't necessarily a bad thing in themselves. The point is, are people open and transparent about them and are they duly managed? That's really the question. And so, you know, we do want people to be able to donate to political parties freely, to be able to uh, try to influence our policy processes. That's part of a democracy. But I think the concern of the average citizen here is that certain people with money are perhaps having undue influence, and and that's really a concern. And we don't want cabinet ministers ending up kind of being informal lobbyists for big donors. I'm not saying it's happened in this particular case, but it certainly has the smell of that. All right, David. Yeah, see, the, I mean, I appreciate the constitutional one around cabinet collective responsibility. Um, and yes, that gives them an easy reason to sack someone given that it was his third strike. In fact, I was here when he was issued his second strike. But for mm. me, the real whiffy part is the fact that he was emailing a cabinet decision, naming people's positions to people who had a vested interest in that actual outcome. And that's the sort of stuff that, you know, New Zealand prides itself on. We, we have no corruption in New Zealand, much like we have no depression in New Zealand. And I'm not saying it is, but that's the stuff that does smell really bad. You know, it's like um, it's like Barbara Kuriga using her position in National to, to potentially try and derail an investigation into her son. These are the sorts of things we we just we just can't have. You can't have any indication that this is going on. And so, you know, good, he should have been sacked for this. And so, I, I, I guess I applaud the Prime Minister for doing it. But it's real gross if it's happening. And if you're alluding to it happening more widespread, then then that is heinous. Mm. Well, yeah, and keep in mind that. Being a low-corruption country doesn't mean we have no corruption. And I think the events that we've seen over the last day or so show that actually New Zealand is quite good at dealing with corruption when it does come out. Now, I'm not saying in this particular case it is a case technically of corruption, but I take your point that part of the problem here also is the naming of uh, individual cabinet yeah. colleagues who've taken particular positions, and that's simply unacceptable. Now, in terms of, and I'd like to hear from uh, those uh, in Napier, uh, do you have confidence in Stuart Nash as your MP, or would you like him to step 
down. What's the next step? He said on Facebook, for now, I will continue to be your local MP. Is it only a matter of time, Grant, that he has to go, or could he, in fact, uh, see out to the election uh, as an MP? Well, he himself says that he won't be resigning as MP for Napier and that there won't be a by-election. And obviously there will be an election, however, in October. And then there's another question as to whether he will be the the Labour candidate uh, in the seat of Napier, which I think is probably doubtful. But my question to the people of Napier would be, you know, okay, uh, this guy has been kicked out of Cabinet, but he's still your Member of Parliament You've been through a real, pro, you know, major crisis with the cyclone Gabriel. Uh, do you really need a um, a by-election right now, uh, or would you rather, you know, carry on with the MP that you've got as your constituent MP and as your representative, particularly as people are going through a really, really difficult time? So, uh, I'm a, personally of the opinion that it's just not a good time for a by-election in Napier, and he should stay on as MP and try to do his best as an MP for the people of Napier. Your final thought, Ruth. Yeah, I mean, logistically, a by-election would be difficult, particularly for that region, right? But um, mm. it, it does it feels uneasy for me. It, it smells, and I'm, I'd be uncomfortable. Okay. okay. Dr Duncan, thank you for your time again. Kia ora. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Grant Duncan, who is um, an associate professor at uh, Massey University. He teaches politics there, so there you go. Uh, for now, uh, Stuart Nash uh, will continue to be your MP. He says on Facebook, that's the latest uh, on that issue, and we'll keep you abreast of anything else that happens on the panel checkpoint and across RNZ. 18 past four. Teachers and principals are warning they cannot cope with the pace and scale of changes to the school system. Groups, including secondary school English teachers and Northland principals, have told RNZ they've written to the Education Ministry and to the Education Minister, Jantanetti. The workload created by the changes was so great principals would quit or refuse to implement some of the changes, reports RNZ. Now, that list is long, but it includes curriculum changes, new rules for physically restraining children, changes to planning and reporting, a review of teacher aid funding, a review of assistance for children with high needs, a national push to improve attendance, new NCEA standards, the list goes on. And 20,000 teachers went on strike today. With us is Principals Federation President Leanne Ortene. Kia ora, Leanne. Reading that list, I didn't get through it. (laughs) Hard to disagree. That's a lot of change in a short space of time. Yes, it certainly is. And it's not just simply the Ministry of Education. Um, You know, there's Aero, NZQA, MSD, MB, District Councils, Health Expectation, Auditors. The list goes on in terms of, you know, what, what is landing on the desks of principals. And they're having, you know, they're feeling that this is just a barrage of requirements, updates, changes, rules, regulations. And it's really tying school principals up in knots, you know, they really should be focusing on teaching and learning. One of the principals quoted in John Gerritsen piece said, piece said, look, three or four changes, Ruth, might be fine, mm. but not 25. Yeah, it, it sounds like absolute madness to me, Leanne. I, I'm not surprised everyone's tearing their head, hair out. And, and for me, you know, children are there to be learners and the principals are there to facilitate the education. 
uh, not do all this paperwork, it feels like it's almost got a little bit corporate. Yeah, well, look, you know, we're about leading learning. Mm. And we desperately want to make sure that every child in New Zealand gets a great education. So when you're tying us up with um, all of this, you know, all the paperwork as you put it, uh, it takes us away, it takes our focus away from leading our teachers and what's really important, our bread and butter, and that is making sure that our curriculum um, is landing in our classrooms and meeting the needs of individual children. David, it's interesting. I have a lot of sympathy for the for the principals in this situation. Um, and as I've said before, both my parents were teachers. However, you know, like there's been lots of uh, commentary around the poor performance of New Zealand students over the last however long years, ten years or so. And so, you know, maybe things do have to change. And so, change is painful and difficult to go through. Uh, so maybe they just need to slow the pace of it to make it slightly more manageable. I don't know. But if all of this commentary is accurate that our kids are underperforming, then yeah, something does need to be changed. And so, I guess I'm pro change if it's being done properly and it's going to see better outcomes. These are pretty vital changes, Leanne. For example, a review of assistance for children with high needs. Yeah, look, I don't disagree with um, you know what you've just said, and we are asking for a slowdown. We are not saying that any of these changes are not necessary. Absolutely not. I'm a big, absolute fan of the new curriculum. I believe that needs to happen. The common practice model is going to tell us how to do that. So, you know, change is needed, but certainly it doesn't all have to happen at the same time. So absolutely agree with you. We just need to slow things down. And perhaps resource you to be able to do some more of that um, while, as you say, lend the learning, which is obviously the priority. And isn't that what the new ministry has said? In Sorry, the, not the new ministry. Isn't that what the ministry have said? They uh, they've promised to make the workload more manageable. Well, no, they've they haven't actually done that yet. Mm. So um, you know, we're looking forward to it certainly. And if there is a slowdown, we welcome it absolutely. Mm. Yes, interesting. Yeah, gosh, uh, that's a, such a change. Uh, new rules for physically restraining children, changes to planning and reporting, new NCEA standards. Just finally on that, so teachers are expected to work with new NCEA Level 1 English standards from next year, but I understand haven't seen those standards yet, so planning will no, about, no doubt be a bit super tight there, Leanne. Oh, well, look, we need to ensure that we've not only got the resources and all of the information we need before those changes are put in place, but that there's professional development around it. Teachers need time to unpack those. They need supports in terms of working through how those changes are going to land on the ground for our, our tamariki. It's no use dropping documents into our schools and expecting these things to happen overnight without our teachers really getting adequate professional development. Very good to have you on, Leanne. Kia ora. Thank you for your time on the panel. That's Leanne Ortenet, uh, Principals Federation President. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Ruth, that is quite a litany of change. Imagine your, uh, imagine your evenings. <laughs> the huh? list was so long. You'd pour um, yourself a sparkling or maybe even a quiet glass of wine and try and, try and get oh. through it all. Well, then up early the next day. You can't even read the list. Yeah, and <laughs> and then when when a teacher's ill or when the um you know when when there is a crisis invariably with uh, with a school of full of children, I'm not quite sure how they're supposed to get to it all immediately. Uh, also, thank you for a lot of um, correspondence coming through about uh, just 
the, on the back of Ruth's, uh, I've been thinking this, commenting about the uh, the nature of healthcare and how um, how how you were so grateful uh, of the support you got. Mm-hmm. Yes, a huge thanks to the entire healthcare. I'm a retired. Uh, nurse last year was diagnosed and then had surgery and chemotherapy. Everyone, everyone in all roles were brilliant. The workloads, to my eyes, were a non-stop grind, yet everyone performed attentively and courteously. Mm. Um, and so thank you very much. You can keep that uh, coming uh, on the panel here. Loving, Always love your feedback, but to this. The panel also gets emails on whatever topic that you would like to raise. And it doesn't have to be something that we talk about specifically that day. And one came through that I thought, hmm, interesting. What if you go to a concert that you have been so excited about, saved up, and guess what? People talk through the whole blimmin' thing. Well, Claire joins us by phone. Claire, welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. What was the gig? It was the, the Counting Crows last Thursday in Christchurch. What happened? Um, well, we got in, we sat down, we thought this is going to be really nice. And then um, people just started, well, when the Counting Crows were on, people were talking. I mean, there were three girls behind us that were talking away. And you kind of wonder why people bothered to come out. I mean, when the Counting Crows actually took a breath to uh, swap instruments and things, the noise was palpable. It really was. It was incredible. This is shocking. This is shocking. Um, how much did you pay for the gig? I think it was about $77. And I'm a teacher, you know. So yeah, every, you... Every, yeah, you know, so it all counts this money. 77 for the Counting Crows, and all you heard was conversation and babble. This is a disgrace. Uh, uh, I mean, and they're all coming through. I saw Henry Rowlands at the power station, two <laughs> drunks, yakking upstairs, he stopped the show and called security to kick them out. Either they leave or I do, he said. Wow. And the entire crowd cheers. Go Henry Rollins. Don't like his music, but go <laughs> but- Henry Rollins. Um, stay there, Claire. We have a panel. Uh, David, have you experienced this? Yeah, I've actually been on the receiving end. I used to perform stand-up comedy many years ago. And, what? Um, you, you and comedy? Yeah. Yeah, I was a very funny boy. Anyway, uh, no tapes exist, thankfully. Anyway, people sometimes would talk uh, through my sets, and that would be terrible. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like exactly. Blah. Right, just like that. And blah, blah. what I, you know, initially I'd be like, oh, you bunch of jerks. But then I kind of reflected and I went, well, uh, they're probably bored. You know, like I, as the entertainer, am not doing a good enough job, and that's why then I'm not engaging the audience's attention properly. So I don't know if the Counting Crows were playing a particularly boring set. I will leave my judgments uh, aside, but, you know, that that's possibly a reason why people people were talking. But surely you should have some respect for the other people who have paid that money, or not actually even paid money, but are sitting around to try for the and counting crows. Someone yeah. may have been translating their lyrics into German, you don't know. <laughs> Claire, what do you make of what the panel has said? No, I just think um, that politeness and good manners cost nothing. Why would you there behave you like that? I'm with you, you Claire. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, yeah. yeah, well, Claire, I, I, I really applaud you for getting in contact because you have raised the issue across the nation. Everyone's getting in touch. Sarah says, there is terrible concert etiquette here. I paid top dollar for prime seated tickets to Billy Joel. Drunk youth 
moved into the aisle in front, completely blocking out the view. It's so rude in New Zealand. Go back to your seats. Now, the other issue you raised, Claire, before you go, is um, not remaining seated. I have a question about that. Go, Ruth. So that's me. I pay a lot of money and I like to get up and dance, but I always feel really bad that some people around me aren't, and I don't know what the etiquette is. Well, I'm the opposite. You're I'm a, a sitter. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I pay to sit, and oh. I'm anti-dancing. If you go to oh, a concert and you like the boogie, go go home. But what if everybody's standing up? Was that different? Clear? No, no, that was fine. It was just that people further down the row kept making everybody in the rows get up so they could go to the bar oh, oh, I see. fill themselves up with drink yep. and then they'd make them get up again when they needed to go to oh, the Oh, no, row. that's annoying. But the, there's always some people, normally women, who dance like trees and I'm quite sure when they stand in front of me or get in front of everybody and do their arm waving. How do trees know, dance? Well, they sort of, you know, trees in the breeze, they sort of just wave their arms about. They always seem to be right in front of me for some reason. Love it. I'm a bit more vigorous than a wave. People, (laughs) women specifically who are dancing like trees. Yeah. Right. Very, okay. Uh, Look, interesting, Claire. We're getting a big response to this. Someone said, Kate says, I've given up on going out live music in Wellington. The venues are full of talkers and they're so annoying and rude. Do people feel the same way about crowds singing? Because then you you still don't get to hear the artist, but you are hearing the song. It's just it's being sung by a different group of people. Plenty plenty of singing. There was loads of singing. That was really awesome. When people were up and dancing all together and when people were up and singing all together, that was... That was fabulous, but there was just inappropriate visits to the toilet and the bar and the chat. You know, why don't you just stay at home and put a CD on? That's exactly what I think, Claire. Hey, Claire, it's lovely to have you on the panel. Thanks for um, sending in your email. Wallace, before we chuck to headlines, can I just make a request that you don't play Counting Crows coming out of the headlines? (laughs) Oh, dear. Says the guy. I, uh, count, I, I, I am um, going to say that on the four years on the panel, I haven't touched a Counting Crows song. Good, good. Well, I, I'm I, with you on this, a hundred percent. There is. Uh, I don't Sorry, know, Claire. I don't know if you know a panelist by the name of Liam here, but he came on the panel one year ago and he said that Counting Crows were better than Led Zeppelin. I am I, not at all surprised that Liam here is a Counting Crows fan. I. <laughs> Look I, out, Liam. I leave you with that thought. Um, uh, I went to see Leonard Cohen about 10 years ago. A couple of people behind us were singing along loudly toward the songs, and I couldn't even hear Leonard Cohen. There you go. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Ruth Money and David Cormack this afternoon.